This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey there, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 316, recorded on Monday, the 27th of March, 2017. You know, a funny thing happened to me yesterday, Jason. What's the funny thing, Christopher? So you know our theme song, right? You've heard it once or twice? Uh, I just heard it a few minutes ago. Or you seconds. Know, maybe like half an hour ago or whatever it was. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I was at an event yesterday. It was a hockey game, actually. And you know how they sometimes play music and songs between, like when the play is stopped and st- between, well, not between periods, but when the play is stopped and things like that? Like uh, somebody, they're an organist that goes, da 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 Well, sure. They do sometimes have an organist that does that, but often they just play music, like, you know, fun, exciting music to get everyone pumped up. Well, that kind of thing, that kind of thing. Right. In this case, they started playing that song and it was weird for me because I sat there and was like, when do I start talking? (laughs) (laughs) You sat there the whole time going, my name is Chris. My name is Chris. Yeah. My name is Chris. Hey, wait, where, what's going on? Something's <laughs> what's wrong. <going? laughs> this is this is weird. Uh, so so yeah, it was a strange experience. That's the first time I've heard that song like in the wild since we started using it, which is crazy. It's been a couple of years for me, but I have heard it in the wild, and it was uh, it was fun. <laughs> Looking around, and everybody going, "Is everybody else? No, nobody else. Nobody else cares." <laughs> yeah, no, it's just me. It's just me. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that was fun. Um, otherwise, my life is not so fun. I'm glad we're podcasting though, because podcasting is fun. My day job is not fun right now, but I guess nobody cares about that. I'm just going to be busy as a mofo for the next week or so. Yeah, you'll get over it. Yeah, probably. Hopefully. You get through it. I believe in you, Chris. Thanks, man. I believe that you can uh, put your wheel to the stone, your shoulder to the grindstone, uh, you know, all that kind of good stuff. <laughs> what, Whatever those things mean, yes. Yeah. I think you're just making stuff up, but hey. Yeah. It's, well, you know, shoulder to the wheel, nose to the grindstone. Yeah. Put my pedal on the metal. Put my put foot on pedal, the pedal. Put your pedal on the metal. That's yeah. right. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Anyways, whatever. It's going to be nuts. I hope it doesn't screw us up for the season finale next week, but we're going to do our best not to let that happen. But sometimes life just gets in the way, and this is one of those weeks. So anyways, we're not here to talk about that. We are here to talk about season seven, episode 15 of The Walking Dead. And we got some interesting title reads this week. Here we go. Give me an S. Give me an O. Give me an M and an E. Give me a thing. And a space, and a T, H, and an E. Then give me a Y, and then give me another space, and then give me an N, and then give me two E's, and then give me a D. What have you got? Something they need. Dusius the Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the TV show. The Walking Dead with your co-hosts Chris and Jason recapping episode 15 something they need 
Hey, Chris and Jason, it's uh, Dave in Brooklyn. Listen, um, I'm calling because we need a couple of extra hands to help out with something. And um, I was wondering if you guys were free to help. So some buddies of mine, they need to make a trip to Oceanside because Oceanside have something they need. Okay, let me know if you're free and can help. Hit me back. Laters. Greetings. I'm Jean-Luc Picard of the Starship Enterprise. Today, we're listening to an episode of the Talking Dead podcast with Chris and Jason as they discuss the episode, Something They Need. And Chris, for the record, Jason is correct. You should check out episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. I remember being on set back in the day, and I would always do something jovial to make the cast laugh. When Commander William Riker would come on the deck, I'd say, Number one, are you doing a number two? And everyone would crack up, we would laugh and guffaw. It was quite jovial. Mr. Data, take us into warp. Thank you so much to Mike in London, Damien in Virginia, Dave in Brooklyn, and of course, Jean-Luc Picard of the Starship Enterprise. The funny thing is Data uh, was the third in command, so he was uh, number two. So when, uh, you know, number one was doing number two, he was doing Data. <laughs> I wouldn't have known that, but I'm glad you told me. Yep. I think. Fun fact. <laughs> Fun fact. Uh, but those were all fantastic. Totally different styles, each one, and, and all yeah. unique and really exciting. So uh, we've only got one more week for people to do title reads for season seven, and that is next week. But we'll get into that on our feedback show later this week. So, Jason, we start this episode with the cold open. As we usually do. Uh-huh. We get some shots of zombies on the beach. They're all covered in, like, fishy stuff. And towards the end of the cold open, we see a shot of a shipwreck in the background, which I thought was really cool. So I think that ship crashed there, and everyone that was on it, or beached there. What do you say for a ship? Beached? Crashed? Uh, scuttled. Scuttled? Well, sank. the scuttled one is on purpose. We scuttle a ship, right? That means run it aground? Yeah, well, I guess running the ground would be good. Scuttle the ship is when you 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 make the ship unusable on purpose. Okay, well, maybe that's what happened here, but I think that's where all these zombies have come from. Anyways, they've been hanging around the sea for a while because they look like they have been influenced by the ocean. Yeah, barnacles on them, and it was uh, oh, it gets funner later on. It does get funner. Uh, so we see these guys. We see the, the shots of our group on their way to Oceanside. You know, they're in the RV. They're crossing the lake in a rowboat. I guess that's the only way to get to Oceanside. You can't go around that little lake. And while this is happening, we have Tara doing a voiceover telling Rick about the guns. He asks her, why didn't she bring this up before? And she says it's because she made a promise. And keeping promises is important, I think, even to Rick. I would think so. You know? Un- unless they're not important to Rick. You know, keep a promise and if it's important to Rick, and don't keep a promise if not keeping the promise is important to Rick. So it's all about the perspective from Rick as to whether or not you should keep a promise. I guess so. But she tries to appeal to him, you know, by saying, I was keeping a promise, but I decided that you needed to know about these guns when it came down to it. Now, we also get a shot of Enid who asks Carl if he ever thinks about the people he's killed and he just responds, yeah. (laughs) So it doesn't sound like he thinks about them much, but I guess he does once in a while. No, he does. I mean, I'm sure he thinks about them quite a bit. It's just, uh, you know, he's a very, 
he's a he's a tough little hombre. He's uh, you know he's he's upfront about it, and it's just very matter of fact about it. Yes, I think about it. I think about the people I've you know blown their heads off, and it affects me. But you know, I'm not going to dwell on it. To he, you, I'm he's a bitch about it. I'm no, going to say yeah. I guess so. He's become kind of dour, though. Is that is that the right word for that? Sort of sort of mysterious and gloomy, kind of. Yeah. Well, I would too. I mean, it's a shitty world out there. Well, yeah, that's true. That's for sure. But he's a he's a kid of few words at this point. Anyways, they seem to have some kind of a plan from what we're seeing here, but we don't really know anything about it yet based on this cold open. So we don't really know what's going to go down at Oceanside, even though that's where they're on their way. Right. So we get through the opening credits, and when we come back, we are at the hilltop. Maggie's doing some gardening with another guy there. She's teaching him some stuff. And she leaves to go outside to dig up a wild blueberry bush, she says, because she thinks she can transplant it inside the walls, which makes sense. Why not? Have your blueberries grow in the garden, not out in zombie land. Yeah, where you can eat them and the zombies won't. Exactly. <laughs> or the weevils, because there's probably weevils out there. That's right. That's right. Or, or any kind of insect or animal. I mean, you might as well keep the blueberries to yourself. I know I do. Absolutely. Gregory is there, and he's listening into their conversation, but doesn't say anything at the time. We go over to Rick, and he's helping Michonne climb a tree, and he tells her to watch for the signal and says the clock starts as soon as she's in. So again, they seem to have some kind of plan, but we don't really know what's about to go down. Yep. Dangerous plan. A dangerous plan. Because the next scene involves Daryl and Jesus laying out dynamite. So you know when dynamite's involved, it's a dangerous plan. It's a danger. Yeah. It's a, you remember what happened to Arst? <laughs> yes. We've, we've brought him up before. That's for sure. You got to be careful with the dynamite. Yeah. He's an object lesson that we can all learn from. Don't. Fuck with the dynamite, unless you know exactly what you're doing. I guess Daryl and Jesus do. Well, yeah, I would assume. Of course. It's Daryl and Jesus. Jesus has his back, so he can screw with the dynamite. While they're doing that, Aaron and Eric, they are standing watch, kind of on guard, and they're chatting, and Eric says he's starting to understand things now. He doesn't really want to be here doing this, but he's willing to fight if it means being with Aaron. Right. So that's nice. He's willing to kill people for his boyfriend. Yeah. That reminds me of Homer uh, when he said to Marge, I would kill for you. Please let me kill for you. (laughs) (laughs) Twist my rubber arm on the killing for you. (laughs) Uh, Jesus, though, says, uh, we cut cut back to Jesus, who, of course, we know is with Daryl, and he says he should have tried harder to stop Rosita and Sasha from leaving. But Daryl basically says, you know what? Those those two can take care of themselves. People are going to do what they're going to do. You know, why, why lock them down? You know, just, you know, let people be. Yeah. But also he, he, he has a great deal of confidence in them because he says they're probably back at home. I forget if he says Hilltop or Alexandria, but he says they're probably back there now taking it easy. So either they succeeded in their mission or they changed their mind and turned around and went home. Or they're dead. You know, whatever. Well, or they're dead, but Daryl seems to think they made it back safely. I'm sure. Which is a lot of faith he has in them, but really, I mean, he should. They're very capable people. Yeah. So now we cut over to Sasha in a cell. So we know right away that she is not back safely at home. She's there locked up. A savior named Dave comes in 
and Dave is all threatening and gross. He mentions something about what happened last night, and he intimidates Sasha, and he sexually assaults her by ripping her shirt and touching her chest, and it's all really gross and creepy, and it just made me feel uncomfortable. It was very, very uncomfortable. Yeah, he leans in close and whispers something, but Sasha takes the opportunity to headbutt him, which was awesome. Like a good headbutt to the bridge of someone's nose will send him flying back every time. Mm-hmm. Do you think it hurts to headbutt somebody with your forehead? Um, yes. Well, I don't know. Uh, if you I've hit head them, but I've headbutted things, uh, with various, various degrees of ouchiness, but, uh, headbutting somebody, I guess it departs, depends on how hard you hit them. Like in where, if you hit them right on the bridge of the nose, I'm probably, uh, I'm sure that, uh, if you really want to do them harm, the pain that you feel yourself is, uh, not as high as the satisfaction of uh, breaking their nose. Well, that's the thing. The nose can be sort of soft and squishier than your forehead. So that's what you need to do. Get them in the nose, bust their nose, make them go falling backwards, take them off guard for a while. And then you can, assuming you can, you know, survive the headbutt, you get a good opportunity to get some blows in at that point, some additional blows. And even if you don't break their nose, I mean, when you hit somebody hard on the nose, the first thing that happens is your eyes tear up. So it, it screws with your vision, right? It's a great right. thing to do. It's a good idea. I'm going to remember that next time I'm in a bar fight. Yeah, no, I'll do it. And uh, <laughs> don't break a beer bottle on the bar. Don't ever do that. You'll end up just cutting the shit out of your hand. I swear to God. That only works in movies, right? Yeah, only works in movies. So don't, don't do that because you're just going to bust the whole thing and your hand is going to be messed up and full of glass. All right. You know, you're, you're better off using the beer bottle as a club because oh. they're actually hard to break. They're designed not to break because you don't, the beer manufacturers want to transport beer from point A to point B without the glass breaking, right? Sure. So they want it to be as strong as possible. So they make the glass, uh, make, make it sturdy. If it was really, really as breakable as you see in the movies, you'd never get beer anywhere. It would just be all over the bottom of trucks. <laughs> and then if it did get there, you'd pick it up in your hand and it would probably just would, shatter in your hand. It would just shatter and, and stuff. Yeah. yeah, use the beer bottle as a club. And that's why you remember the uh, the stubby beer bottles yep. that they used to have? Did they have those in the States or were they just Canada? Do you know? I, I think it was sort of a typically Canadian thing, but I don't. But they probably have them in the States now. I was just drinking them on Friday night, actually. we were. It was some, I was out with some coworkers and we ordered these stubby bottles. Funny. You know why they, they made stubby bottles? Harder to break in bar fights? So you couldn't use them in a bar fight. You, oh there's nothing God. to grab onto. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. That's that's my bar fight advice. That's Jason's bar fight brawl pro tip of the week. Yeah. And grab the darts and a pool cue just for, you know, ranged weapons and some kind of quarter staff. <laughs> Jesus. Sounds like you've been in a lot of bar fights. <laughs> no, but I thought about it. <laughs> just Only in been case. in one bar fight. That one day when I get into a big one. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, she headbutts him. He falls backwards, but then he gets up and he starts to take his belt off because he's just a friggin' creepy piece of shit, this guy. Well, maybe his pants are too tight. I don't think that's why he's taking his belt off, Jason. No, you're probably right, but yeah. you know, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. And let I like to think that people aren't the shitty asshole rapist motherfuckers that uh, they seem to be in these situations. Well, he is, because the next thing that happens is Negan comes in and says that he can see that Dave was trying to rape Sasha. And Negan says that rape is against the rules. 
and he wouldn't want to be somewhere that it wasn't. <laughs> so even Negan thinks that's wrong and not a you good thing. You got to draw the do. line somewhere. You do, I guess. So he takes out Negan takes out his giant knife and just pretty casually puts it right through Dave's neck. So It was pretty casually. Dave is dead. Dave is done. Rapey Dave is now dead Rapey Dave. That's one big nasty knife that uh, Negan has. It is, but we've seen that knife before. It's just every time we he pulls it out, I'm I'm impressed with the size of his knife. Yeah. And what he can do with it. Well, Negan starts talking to Sasha and says he says that she caused one hell of a fracas last night. So here's the thing, Jason. We see Sasha run into the Savior's compound last episode. Yep. Here we are in this episode. We hear that she caused quite the ruckus and ended up in jail. So what happened? Why didn't we get to see that? Why did they yada yada over kind of the best part? Uh, because they wanted to get to another best part. They just yada yada right over the, uh, we know Sash is pretty kick-ass and we knew that she was on a fool's errand, not a fool's errand, but a, a suicide run. Uh, going into into this place, but uh, hopefully she killed a lot of people and uh, kneecapped a bunch more and uh, caused other people to uh, to break down and cry because she's that tough that you know just looking at somebody wrong uh, will make them break down into uh, into blubbery little tear blubbery little tears. Right, but so you're saying that none of that would have been exciting to see. I just I'm just trying to get at what is it about that that made it that we, the audience, don't need to see that? Is it just because we know Sasha's already pretty badass and having her being locked up and interacting with people in a sort of an interrogation or captive state? It's not really an interrogation, but it's more of a captivity state. That's more interesting than seeing her run in there, take out some dudes, get surrounded, try to fight her way out, whatever. It didn't seem like she'd been beat up. It just seemed like she ran in there and surrendered. Well, that, I don't think that's much of a fracas. Well, it doesn't sound like much of a fracas, but apparently it was quite one hell of a fracas. So something it happened. It probably has to do with storytelling and pacing. Like the this episode was, uh, you know, if we had a big action scene right at the beginning, uh, I think the whole rest of the episode would have, been, would have felt off or... Um, if they had the action scene at the end of last episode, that might've been cool too. Uh, I like to think of it as, uh, you've seen the first season of uh, Daredevil. Yes, I have. Both. I've seen two seasons of Daredevil. I've only seen like the first three episodes of Daredevil. Daredevil, And I know that he was fighting a bunch of guys in a hallway at some point. Yeah, that was amazing. uh, That's, that's what I like to think that Sasha was doing, uh, in, you know, as far as the fracas goes, just, you know, that was amazing. That was friggin' phenomenal, which is why I don't want to watch Daredevil because I'm saving it for a special occasion, but I better hurry up before there's like 10 seasons. And I'm like, okay, special occasion is going to have to last three weeks now. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I got to get on that. Yeah. But that's what I like to think what happened. And, uh, you know, this show is not necessarily an action show. It's a story show about characters and situations. So I think that, you know, you got to make hard choices, uh, you know, show some action. We all, we have some action happening a little bit later. So maybe, you know, a decision was made that, uh, for the sake of the story, we need to impart what happened, but don't actually show it. Yeah. And I'm kind of just playing devil's advocate advocate here because I don't, I'm not saying we necessarily needed to see all that, but sometimes I just find it 
a little odd the decisions they make and the route they choose to go you know we got we get tons of stuff with Sasha and Rosita last week hanging around talking and coming to terms and sort of apologizing to each other and again that's fine it's sort of important to do but then we get skipping we we skip over stuff like this where you think there would be something fun in there something exciting for for the viewers but they decide to get to another uh or or get to additional stuff of just characters sort of sitting around talking which is fine that the whole episode wasn't that and i'm not saying it should never be any of that it certainly should be a lot of expository and dialogue and stuff like that exposition i mean and dialogue uh maybe it was a contractual thing but it's weird the the, the actress who plays sasha what's her name um sonequa martin green yeah she's on star trek right yes so she's, you know, theoretically our plan or our thinking right now is she's leaving this show to go on to Star Trek as one of the primary characters for that show. Maybe her transition contract, whatever it is, is like, no, you cannot put her in harm's way in any way, shape or form. She can run from point A to point B, but once you start getting, uh, you know, weapons fire and running through a hallway and uh, fighting and stuff that uh, she might get hurt and then... You know, our whole show is is hinged on this 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 fine actress. So, you know, don't hurt her. So they had to pull the plug on the on the action scene. I don't know. Cynically, I kind of think it probably comes down to budget. They have enough budget for certain action scenes, and they have to skim over other ones. Maybe they spent the budget on barnacle zombies. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Anyways. Just interesting choice. Sometimes I think it can be a little jarring to see someone run into a place like that with the promise that she's going in there to do something crazy. And then next thing we know, well, we're not going to show you that. We're going to move on to what happens after and just refer to it. But whatever, I can get past it. All right. So I'm going to refer you back to watching uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I'm not (laughs) going to say anything about that, but you need to go back and just watch that whole movie. Take some time, you know. Sleep in tomorrow morning, go to work late. <laughs> I don't think that's Watch happening. a movie. Yeah. <laughs> Just, uh, you know, when, or call in and say, uh, I'm sorry, I can't come to work this morning. I've got to watch Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Uh, the rest of you fine coworkers are welcome to come over and watch it with me, but I got to watch this right now. Uh, fine. I will see how that flies. And Because uh, this guy on the internet I know told me to. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I'll get fired and everything will be fine. There you go. All right. Now you're thinking. Anyways, Jason, let's move on. So Negan says to Sasha that he remembers her from the forest. And he asks if Rick put her up to this. And then he offers her a place with the saviors. And he even says that she can help run this place, which is quite the offer. Uh, And what he does then is he takes out his big knife again. He leaves it with her and gives her kind of some options. He says, you can either kill yourself or use it to kill Rapey Davy here and save yourself because Rapey Davy just had a knife through the neck. He is going to come back and be locked in a cell with Sasha. Mm-hmm. So we go to a commercial break, and when we come back, we've got Eugene. He comes into Sasha's cell. He brings her a pillow, a blanket, and some water, it looks like. And he suggests that Sasha accept Negan's offer and join them. And he explains that the saviors are keeping him safe. And he talks about Abe and how he couldn't handle seeing him and Glenn killed in the woods. 
He says he tried to be a hero by, you know, driving the RV away and letting everyone else escape, but that he was also never so scared in his life as he was when he was on his knees in the woods. Fear is a powerful motivator. It is. I think it's a I think it's a fun explanation though for for what happened there. He says I forget the line exactly, but something about how he he's never felt so great, like so much of a hero for 37 minutes while he was driving the RV. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was some of the best 37 minutes of my life. Yeah, something like that. And but then, of course, immediately following that was the scariest thing that's ever happened to him. So I can imagine why Eugene is so messed up. You know, he's 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 experienced the highs and the lows of life and fear and death all, you know, within 37 minutes or an hour of, of each yeah. other. <laughs> yeah, that was a bad hour. That was or a good hour. It was a messed up hour. Let's just go there. Definitely a messed up hour. Anyway, Sasha tells him to go. And after he leaves, Dave starts to come back. We see his fingers twitch and his eyes open. And he's got yep. the zombie eyes. We go back over to the hilltop. Gregory comes outside where Maggie is digging up that blueberry plant. And he questions why she's still here and suggests that things would be better if they could just present a united front, the two of them, so they can co-lead the hilltop in a way. Whether He's that just would... trying to save his... I don't know what he's trying to do. He's trying to co-lead what kind of stupid idea is that well he doesn't say that exactly but he says a united front but she agrees she says if there actually was a united front it would be good to portray it yeah. <laughs> it's know? really hard to argue with somebody who agree who agrees with you uh yeah, you know? well it's not so, impossible well it's it's not yeah it's uh you know if you really want to mess with somebody and they're and you don't want to do what they want and they ask you to do something just say yeah i'll do that no problem no problem. And then the argument's over, and then you just do the opposite. Just because you say, yeah, I'm going to do that doesn't mean anything, necessarily. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, if somebody's trying to get you to do something, and you don't want to do it, and uh, you want to screw them over, say, yeah, I'll do that. No sure. Problem. Why not? Well, he, she does, and then Gregory apologizes, and they kind of mutually agree that they should try to work together. You know? They're going to be a powerful team. I think so. <laughs> so she asks him to keep an eye out while she finishes digging the plant, He's there holding a knife that he takes out, a little puny knife, in contrast to Negan's humongous knife. Which well, I, what kind of idiot comes out here with, uh, well, I guess her too, right? She's got, what, a trowel? <laughs> she's got a trowel, but she's out there to dig a blueberry bush, not to do anything else. I know, but they're out in the wild right now, right? There could be zombies about. He at least brought a knife to a zombie fight. She brought a trowel. To a blueberry dig. So it's to okay. To a blueberry fight. That's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, but he's holding this knife, but I was trying to say that the contrast of Negan's giant knife and Gregory's oh, yeah. puny knife was not lost on me, you know? Well, yeah. Uh, I actually like Gregory's knife better because, uh, it's a real knife. Like it's, it's not just for, uh, show like Negan's knife. Like what really, do you really need a knife that big for whatever you're doing? You know, if you're fighting somebody with swords, get a sword. The thing's a short sword, the, the thing that Negan had. It's basically a short sword, but it's all for show, except for stabbing people through the neck, but that was for also for show. Uh, but the one that Gregory has is a real knife. It's, a you know, if you need to 
carve something or whittle something or fix something or, you know, skin something, that's a useful knife. The one that Negan has is only good for uh, showing people that, you know, that's not a knife, this is a knife, uh, and stabbing people through the neck. Uh, I mean, killing zombies. Well, it's pretty good at killing zombies through the head, too. Gregory's knife will do the trick, but you have to, I don't know. You In, in this world. In the real world, that big knife is almost completely useless. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. But Negan likes to do things for show. He wants to show how big of a knife he's got. That's he's his... already got the bat. I get the bat. All right, the bat is not for uh, discipline internally. <laughs> no, the bat's not for show. The bat has a purpose, man. That bat kicks some ass. The knife may be for show. I'm just saying that in the zombie apocalypse, a big knife like that will come in handy. Gregory's little knife, he's a small knife guy, and Negan is a big knife guy. I like Gregory's knife better. Okay, fair enough. You may more useful, a little more practical. You don't have to like strap it to your hip. You walk around with that thing, poking yourself in the ass when you sit down. (laughs) This is an actual knife that you can use on a daily basis. And you can peel an apple with it when you need to. And you can peel an apple with it. Good point. All right. Very good. Well, he's holding this knife and he seems to get an idea to stab Maggie with it. He -hmm. approaches her slowly Gets a funny look on his face, but then backs off and comes to his senses, really. No, he just chickens out because he's the biggest scaredy cat ever. All he wants to do is drink and live in the big house. Okay, I don't hold that against him, but does he really intend on hurting Maggie, on killing Maggie there and then and then chicken out? Or does he realize that that's a terrible frigging idea and he decides to not do it? I don't know. I think know. that he was thinking of it. And uh, thought that, you know, this would solve a lot of my problems, but I'm too afraid to do it. But he's not thinking it through. How this would solve his problems for like 30 seconds. And then he goes back into Alexandria and everyone, I mean, into the hilltop and everyone goes, hey, where's Maggie? Oh, she's dead out there. She was digging up a blueberry bush and I didn't stab her. (laughs) She got attacked by a zombie. Come on. Sure. I was trying to save her from the zombie, but I stabbed her by accident instead. Sorry. I just got, uh, you know, I just got, went into stabby mode and stabbed everything. I got to clear. Yeah. I don't think that was it. I think he actually realized, no, this is a dumb idea. If I'm going to kill her, I got to at least choose the right moment. And I think it was, was fear it. rather than reason. Well, fine. He decides not to. Anyways, the whole thing uh, ends because a zombie comes out of the woods and he decides that he's going to go kill it. But here's where he chickens out. He can't kill the zombie because it turns out he's never killed one before. (sighs) Yeah. All this time. So Maggie goes, kills it. While she's doing that, a stealth zombie gets Gregory and knocks him down. Zombie comes out of nowhere, knocks him down. And then Maggie runs over and saves him from that zombie as well. And when they're standing around after some hilltop people come by and she lets them know that he'll be okay, but he's never killed one before. And he's learning. (laughs) He's just learning. Like it's such a, I mean, can I say emasculating moment for him? You know, she saves him, which is fine. I'm, I certainly have no trouble being saved from a zombie by a woman. That's not what I'm trying to say, but he's supposed to be a leader. He's supposed to know what he's doing and he can't even stab one stupid zombie in the head. And... And, and he's useless. It definitely undermines his leadership, I think. Totally. So. It definitely weaken, weakens him as a leader, even though he's an incredibly weak leader already, and I'm sure everybody knows it. Yep, but he's just looking worse and worse now. 
Well, we cut over to Oceanside and Natanya. Do you remember Natanya? She's the elderly lady at Oceanside. She enters her house and abracadabra, Tara is there pointing a gun at her. Yay, Tara shows up secretly, sneakily. Yeah, so I don't know how the hell Tara got in the house, but before we get to that, uh, Cindy comes in. Of course, Cindy is Natanya's granddaughter, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And Tara tells them that her friends are outside and they plan to take this place without firing a shot. She tells them that they're going to fight the saviors and, and suggests that they join them. And she basically just asks them to talk to Rick and says, you know, she, uh, she can stop them from taking over, but they got to make a decision really, really quickly. Uh, and Cindy, of course, is open to the idea of them talking, but they don't make a call right away because Natanya doesn't want to. And then, the you know, something happens outside, which we'll get to in a second. But how the hell did Tara sneak in there totally undetected and not having no one notice she was there? Uh, because the last time, the last Jesus. time, no. When she came to Oceanside the first time, to be fair, she wasn't familiar with the area. She didn't really know what she was stumbling into, but they seemed to detect her immediately, right? They had people looking around. They detect her. They started shooting at her. They were the shoot first, ask questions later kind of people. But this time she was able to sneak in, get in the house and wait for Natanya to come. It just didn't feel real to me based on what we know about Oceanside and how they operate the place. Well... I think maybe how they operate the place is a little, uh, they're complacent. Uh, you know, they haven't really had conflict in some time, so they've gotten lazy. They've gotten, uh, slow and, uh, you know, they're not expecting trouble. So maybe they have significant gaps in their security now, which, uh, sh- you know, she's aware of and, uh, the rest of the group is aware of and that they're exploiting to get the, you know, and maybe she, somebody helped her sneak into, you know, wait here. Okay, now go. And then helped her to get in. Uh, you know, cause she's not the stealthiest of per- people, but you know, Jesus could get in there. Jesus probably just walk in without actually breaking a stride. He'd be in, in the middle of that place. Nobody'd even notice that guy. It's like he's invisible. But are you saying that, that they've let their guard down somewhat since the last time Tara was there or has it always been like that? And, but Tara was sort of, Tara wasn't ready for it the first time, so she kind of walked in and made herself known a little bit, whereas this time she was able to sneak past their defenses because she's familiar with the place. Absolutely, yeah. They were, they've been complacent and slow for a while, but she didn't know the area, and she got pretty far in not knowing anything before anybody started shooting, right? So they, yeah. uh, you know, I think that their security is complete crap. They don't even have walls, for crying out loud. no. Although Tara at one point mentions walls, which is funny. It's more like trees, she should have said, but hey, I don't know. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess I can buy that, that their security is not very good because they're hiding in the forest and they don't expect to be found. But I also thought it was just kind of, it. again, they glossed over something that I feel like wouldn't be that easy, but it made it feel easy and kind of unrealistic. So anyways... Well, there were, you know, this is a very glossy episode. They're just glossing over stuff. Yada, 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 Tara got in. Yada, 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 explosions. Yada, yada, you know, barnacle zombies. 
<laughs> that was the whole script right there. It's, that's, ever, that's what everyone got. And we're like, we can make something out of this. <laughs> yeah. So explosions, as you said, start going off outside around Oceanside. Residents start running around. We see Beatrice and another person run for the arsenal because I guess they want to protect it. Uh, Michonne, who's up in that tree, takes a couple of shots from her tree to impede their path to the arsenal. And then Daryl and Jesus intercept them and take them hostage, kind of. I was so scared for what was going to happen with uh, Michonne up in that tree with that rifle. So terrified. This whole episode, I was like, oh my God, she's got the rifle. What the hell is going to happen? That could, anything could happen. She was up in that tree and that the end of that barrel of that rifle was waving all over the place. She could have, that thing could have gone anywhere. She, she it kind of was. I mean, there was a part where, you know, she goes from one side of the tree to the other, just to, I guess, to get a better angle. And as we know, she's, has not had a lot of success hitting targets with her rifles. So I felt like she could have shot herself with that rifle. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I, I was I was I was literally uh scared for what was gonna happen because a little bit later it becomes a little more prevalent. But the fact that she was up there being a sniper with that rifle scared the hell out of me. All right. Well in a way she was almost more of a lookout than anything, but yeah, you're right. You gotta be careful in trees with rifles. But we cut back inside and Tara says that oh here, she says the bombs were outside the walls. Which right. I didn't really think Oceanside has, but maybe she just means walls as in boundaries of your little community here. And then um, Natanya and Cindy trick her and take her gun and point another gun they have in there at her. And Tara says, oh, but wait a minute, my gun was empty the whole time. And that proves that we didn't come here to hurt anybody. We don't bring loaded weapons. We're just here to talk and take your stuff if you don't agree. Yeah, that's that's dumb on like three different levels. I don't know. It's why, a, why bring a weapon that you're not going to use? I mean, that's just inviting an escalation of a situation that is dangerous to begin with. Because if you point a gun at somebody and they have a gun and get an opportunity to point it at you, you better believe that the one that they're pointing at you is loaded. Mm-hmm. I, I sort of think it's a... It's the kind of thing, though, where when that fact is revealed, it is a point of trust that you have between each other, sort of, right? When you find, when they find out that you were never intending on hurting them, they have to then somehow, or a part of them has to believe, okay, she's telling the truth. They don't want to hurt us. They just want to talk and take our stuff. <laughs> no, I completely and utterly disagree with you. All right. That you, if you're bringing a gun to a situation in order to try and convince somebody to do something, uh, I don't think it really has a lot of relevance as to whether or not that weapon is loaded. Well, it certainly doesn't before that fact is revealed. And I, I think you're right. I mean, if someone walked in here right now, pointed a gun at me and said, I'm just going to steal your TV. I don't want to hurt you. I'm going to leave with the TV. If somehow I found out that that gun was not loaded, I don't think I'd feel any better. So you're right. Yeah. And in Canadian law, I don't know what it's like in the States, but in Canadian law, it actually makes zero difference if the weapon is loaded. It is the same criminal charge, does not carry any difference in uh, what your sentence will be in any way, shape, or form. Loaded or not, you point a weapon at somebody, you're facing the same criminal charge. Well, again, because the uh, person you're pointing it at does not know it's not loaded and you are telling them you are making a threat on their life. Yeah. And uh, whether or not you can follow through with it doesn't really matter. 
Yeah. And so the, what Tara did was she brought this, uh, you know, this gun into the, into this situation, which, you know, takes the, uh, you know, escalates this situation up really high, really quickly. And when something is escalated that high, people do drastic things. And, you know, having an unloaded weapon in order to calm them down afterwards is, uh, you know, is, is, is not logical because bringing it is just going to escalate the situation. And there's a real good, they're going to a place where they know, absolutely know there's lots of guns mm-hmm. and they're all probably loaded. So why would you bring an unloaded weapon? Well, I, would, you know, if you wanted to just go there and talk, don't bring a weapon. Show up sitting on a, you know, on the couch. They walk in. It's like, hey, I want to have a conversation with you because there's going to be bombs going off in a second anyway. What the hell? You need a gun. <laughs> I want to have a conversation with you. You got a few minutes here. Uh, you know, just stay calm. I don't have a weapon. I'm unarmed. You know, let's just talk. Yeah, Does that seem like a better way to deal with that. I think you're probably right. In in any case, though, I think. There was a low expectation of Natanya or anyone at Oceanside wanting to just talk. Right. So why go there at all? Just, you know, start blowing up bombs and hurting people over and, you know, firing at their feet and scaring the shit out of them and then get them all bunched in a group. Yeah. And that's exactly what they do. So more bombs are going on outside and they've rounded up all the Oceanside people in a group. They have them surrounded. Rick Again, explains that they're just here for their guns. But now, since Natanya and Cindy uh, took Tara, they come out with a gun to her head. And Rick reiterates, we don't want to hurt anybody. Cindy wants them to talk and maybe even join them. You get that feeling. But Natanya is the only one who won't even consider the idea. So now they're kind of at a stalemate where the Oceanside people have Tanya with a gun to her head that we, we know or presume is loaded. And Rick is like, you know what? We're doing this either the easy way or the hard way. We're taking your stuff. But again, we, we don't want to, uh, uh, kill anyone or hurt anyone if we don't have to. And this is where Michonne is in the tree. Uh, you know, we see the situation through her scope and she's got a, you know, kind of a precarious, uh, bead on, uh, on them and she can hit anybody. I'm like, anybody here is like dead meat. If she pulls that trigger. Like they could, she could kill Rick easily, just like that. Kill him. Yeah. Well, she's looking around at everybody, at everything that's going on, and she sees walkers coming because, of course, they've made a lot of noise with the explosions. Which, again, questionable plan to begin with. I mean, hey guys, let's blow up a bunch of stuff, even though we know it draws walkers to us. Yep. Um. So she, Michonne warns them. She yells. And Cindy now uses this distraction to hit Natanya and free Tara. And then because there are walkers coming, people from both groups line up to take them all out. Some of them have guns and are shooting. Some of them have knives. And after a bit, they clear them all out and everyone is safe. But all I could think was, oh, you're wasting all your ammo. Like this plan should have been... I don't know, executed differently somehow so you didn't have to waste all the bullets on these on these zombies because they're you're looking for weapons, you're looking for ammunition, and here you are just shooting down the zombies, which probably could have been avoided. Uh yeah. Well, yeah, you're setting off bombs, you you're pretty much asking for zombies. Well, that's what I mean. Maybe maybe setting off the bombs wasn't even the best idea. You know, as you said, walk in all peaceful and say, We just want to talk, please don't kill us. And uh, we're taking your stuff. <laughs> it's a hard conversation to have. I'm not it, saying it's easy, but you know. Yeah. 
So. You know, we don't want to hurt you. We're just going to take, you know, what you most prize in this world. Well, yeah. It's like robbing a bank. It's like you walk in, it's just like, you know, we don't want to hurt anybody. We're just robbing a bank. Yeah, sure. We've all got firearms, uh, but you know, just relax and nobody gets hurt. That's right. We just want the money. You guys will be fine. Well, we find out after the battle that Rick had handed a knife to Beatrice. Oh, actually, we may, we may have seen her him give it to her, but she now hands it back and they shake hands. So there's some kind of mutual understanding going on there. Yeah. Natanya says, nope, they're not fighting, and they but they should take the guns and go. So she seems to know that they've got them in a bad position, and uh, she might as well just let them have the weapons and get out of there, but they're definitely not joining them. After a commercial break, we are back with Sasha. Ne- Negan comes into her cell and finds out that she killed Dave. So she didn't use his giant knife on herself. She killed Rapey Dave. Yep. Sasha indicates that she'll join Negan. So that's apparently the decision she's made. And he says that she still has a ways to go before he fully believes her, which is Absolutely. understandable, you know? Yeah. She's got she's to play Yard's Revenge and then uh, have some kind of test proving that she's, uh, she's Negan. And probably listen to Easy Street 5,000 times. Oh yeah, at least once. At, at least once. We got to hear Easy Street again next week, right? I think so. Makes sense. I think so. I'm not ready to let that song die yet. I want to hear it over and over again. Yeah. So he also says, Negan does, that a little birdie told him that Rick is up to no good. Which is an interesting statement. Uh, and before the scene is over, he says that she can have a comfortable night tonight. He'll you know, she can have some creature comforts, but tomorrow is going to be a big day. Isn't, isn't an Enid a type of bird? Uh, no, Enid is Enid, but goddamn, sometimes, some it's, it's hard to let that theory go. I'll, I'll tell you that Enid is, is passing them information somehow. But what does he mean by a little birdie? Like we don't, we don't know Enid. who that is, right? I do. It's Enid. That's what I mean. A little birdie. She's, you know, I'm just, I was looking at that. Maybe Enid is a type of bird, but I'm, I don't think it is. No, I don't know, man. It's, I, I don't know what he means. Otherwise there's, there is no mole or spy that I know of other than potentially Enid. I don't know. And exactly. Oh man. I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting to find out what happens there because even with the Enid stuff in this episode, her, her two or three lines to Carl, you almost get the feeling she is feeling sorry for Carl or she's, you know, she's feeling loyalty to Carl, but she's torn between her loyalty to him and, and the saviors, if indeed she's a savior spy. Yeah. I mean, it would be, it would be challenging. She's, uh, she's now got a love interest. And I, I think that her and, and Carl could be a potential, uh, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend type situation. Well, they've already and, had their, their tree moment, remember? And they kissed. Yeah. yeah. But you know, it's, it's murky. It's not just cut and dried, right? Oh, you of kiss course. somebody, all of a sudden you're, you're their girlfriend or you're their boyfriend. You know, it's a little more complex than that. So yeah, sure. But, uh, you know, there's definitely interest there. And then when that interest, uh, in having a relationship conflicts with, uh, you know, some kind of spy job that you're working on, that's got to be a tough call. That's got to be, you know, that's got to be uh, very nerve wracking for her. 
Well, and and even the little we got in this episode with her, I I can't think of too many other reasons to have her have that really a a brief conversation with with Carl about thinking about the people he kills. It's almost like she's saying, "You guys are planning to kill a bunch of my people." You know, are you going to feel bad about that? Yeah, could be. You know, so I think <laughs> I think the Enid spy theory is definitely not dead, even though had you asked me like a month ago, I would have said totally dead, not a spy, completely on board with Alexandria. I have no doubt. I'm not so sure anymore. Yeah, it's it's, it's crazy. I'm going 75, 25 in favor of her being a spy. Really? That's high, man. I, it, is, it is. I don't know. I'm I'm going. I'm going to go the I, other way, like 60-40, not a spy. Really? I'd, yeah. put, uh, I'd put Jason points on the line here. You want to bet? <laughs> uh, sure, sure. All let's right. bet. Three, 3.25 Jason points, I'll, uh, I'll wager. You'll wager, uh, how many Jason points do you have? Um, I've currently got 4.75. Excellent, excellent, good. So <laughs> we'll just, well, let's just go all in, okay? Fine, all in, all or nothing. All in, fine. Wow, Jason says she's a spy, <laughs> I say she's not. So, all right, we cut, next scene is Gregory. He's in his office. He's drinking like he usually is. He takes the note Simon gave him out of his pocket and he looks at a map of the area and then he calls to Cal. I guess the Cal's the guy who's always outside his door, keeping watch of things. Uh-huh. And he tells him he needs him to drive him somewhere. So Gregory is going to see the saviors. And he doesn't even know how to drive. <laughs> Is that it? Or does he just like to have a driver? Or maybe he's being responsible and he's drunk and he doesn't want to drive because he might kill somebody. (laughs) You know, I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. He's always drunk. So maybe he does, he wants to do the right thing and not get behind the wheel of a car. It's, it's the responsible thing to do. And if you have a cow and I recommend getting a cow uh, to drive you around, uh, you know, why wouldn't you use it? Absolutely. Or, or or him in this case. He's the leader. He doesn't drive himself anywhere. He gets people to do his driving for him. But is he going there to come clean and tell them about Maggie and Rick's plan? Is that what he's want? Is that what he's doing? Uh, I, I mean, why, doing. why else would he be going there? I don't know. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's true. Is he the little birdie? Uh, yeah, but he, well... But, but see, it would have been, we would have seen that scene before Negan comes in and says, a little birdie told me, not after, I don't think. Are we, are we supposed to think that the, the Gregory stuff at the hilltop is happening before the Sasha stuff? No, it can't be because no. Sasha and them have already left. They went, they're captured. Rosita's back. So I don't know. I don't think he's the little birdie. Doesn't, I don't doesn't think he's the little out. birdie either, but yeah, he's going to, he's going to tattle. He's a big tattler. I think so. I think that's what he's going to do. He probably thinks he can come out on top by bringing them this information and probably looking good to the saviors as a loyal subject, but... Well, he needs to keep the booze flowing because how else are you going to do that, right? Yeah. You know, was he going to do scavenge for it himself? He's definitely not going to. He couldn't do that if his life depended on it. He's going to send Kala to get him booze. Yes, he does. So we cut back over to the uh, cell where Sasha is and we've got Eugene outside and 
he says that joining the saviors was the right call because now he's spoken to Negan and that's what Sasha told Negan. But from inside the cell, Sasha says she can't do it. And she has realized that Negan is going to use her against their friends and she has to kill herself. If she's dead, Negan can't use her for any purpose. And she asks Eugene to get her a weapon that she can use on herself. And uh, basically Eugene says that he'll think about it and all, up until this point, this whole scene has taken place outside the cell door. We just hear Sasha's voice, but we see the whole thing from Eugene's perspective. And I thought Josh did a really good job here listening to her say these things and kind of reacting with his facial expressions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know he did a great job. He, he was doing good. a great job for, you know, forever. Well, totally. He has for sure. But this is a pretty intense scene, right? Your friend is captured begging you for something that she can use to kill herself so that she won't be used against her own people in any way, which is, I mean, pretty great. And uh, yeah, Josh McDermott as Eugene did a good job here. But finally, at the end, we cut inside the cell and it's clear to the audience that Sasha is just playing him and hoping he'll bring her a weapon, a secret weapon. Oh yeah, secret weapon, sharpened pickle. That's what I was hoping for. Ooh, I don't think that would do much damage, but you never know. Depends on how crispy. True. It's a very, very crispy pickle, then, uh, yeah, that sucker's <laughs> sharp. You spit, chew up the pickle and spit in somebody's eye, that would hurt. I'd Ouch. be, I'd be way too tempted to eat it, is the problem. Hey. Yeah, I need to eat half and use the other half as a weapon. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, we, uh, we cut back to Oceanside. They're loading up all the guns. Gabe, Father Gabe asks Rick that, if they need everything. And he says, yes, we sure do. And now we get Carl tells Enid that he thinks, he also thinks about the people he didn't kill. So not just the ones he did, but the people he didn't kill as well. So Carl apparently is a thinker and is thinking about everything. I think about the people I haven't killed. Yeah. Almost every day. Yeah. Some (laughs) of them I wish I, wish I did. That's that's not true. I know. (laughs) Most of the people you wish you didn't kill. That's right. Uh, Tara says that they're, oh, she says they're going to bring the guns back when this is all over. So she's like, we're, it's okay. We're just borrowing the guns. Yeah. We're just going to use them for a little while. I'm sure they'll be fine. We'll clean them up. You know, we'll just, we're going to keep the bullets. But, right. Uh, <laughs> you know, we'll bring the guns back. Yeah. We'll bring Don't them worry. back. Everything's fine. And Cindy, she says she wants to go with them, but she won't because not everyone at Oceanside agrees. But she does thank Tara for what they're doing. So Cindy apparently kind of realizes that if this all works out, then it's going to make the world safer for everybody. So thank you. Hopefully it does work out. Yeah. Tara tells Rick that she's okay and that she doesn't have to feel bad about what she did about breaking her promise. So we get one more commercial break. And when we come back, we have Sasha pacing around in her cell. Eugene comes to the door and outside the door he says he decided to bring her something that she can use to kill herself and of course he slides the poison pill under the door it's not a gun it's not a knife it's not a piece of glass it's nothing it's not a board with a nail in it it is the poison pill sasha basically realizes that this is the one thing eugene could bring her that isn't really a weapon she can use (laughs) yep You know, it's, it's the one thing that 
is really only going to be effective on herself unless she can somehow trick Negan into eating it. But how is she going to do that? Here, have this pickle. You know, this is where she could have used the pickle here, you know, stick it in the pickle and say, <laughs> have this delicious, lovely pickle. And you're going to be like, oh yeah, pickle. And then eat it. And then he would die. This pickle's almost as big as my knife. I'm going to cut it in half. <laughs> no, no, don't do that. Don't, you don't need to cut it. No, 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 I don't. Bet you can swallow that pickle whole. <laughs> I bet he could. <laughs> oh my God. Um, so the poison pill, as we said, has come back. But here's my question, Jason. Is this it? I mean, somebody's got to take this pill, right? Well, yeah, it's Chekhov's pill, right? It is. Somebody's got to take it. I don't think Sash... Oh. Halfway through that sentence, I changed my mind. She might, but I doubt it. Yeah, she might, but I doubt it too. It's just like he... some The, the wives ask him for the pill, Negan's wives. He creates the pill. They say, no, we don't want it. So he hangs on to it for a while. Sasha shows up, says, I need something. I need a weapon. So he decides that's a weapon. Uh, so and he brings it to her. I mean, to be fair, she said, I need something I can kill myself with, which isn't yeah. really a weapon. But uh, he brings her the pill. Now, Sasha has the pill. The pill is being passed around and someone's got to take this pill at some point. And it better be next week, because after that, I'm going to forget all about it. It, uh, it better not be Eugene or I'm going to be pissed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to be happy with that either. I hope he doesn't have to take it. Uh, it, it, uh, I'm leaning towards Sasha at this point, but I hope she goes out in more of a, you know, blaze of glory than that. Then swallow a pill and fall down and go to sleep and die. Right. Y- yeah. Well, we'll find out. I hope, um, we cut over to the main group. They are arriving back at Alexandria and surprise, surprise, Rosita opens the gate for them. I kind of didn't expect her to be back there. And they all seem as surprised to see her as I was. Hooray! (laughs) Oh my gosh, Rosita's back. But of course, they ask about Sasha, and Rosita gets right to the point and says, there's someone here, and she takes them to see Dwight, who is in the cell that Morgan built. Yep. So it was Dwight in the shadows with the crossbow. It was... It makes perfect sense in hindsight. And oh. once we were told by uh, that listener, I forget his name. Uh, from from last week? Yeah, I don't remember, yeah. but it was Dwight. Thank you. Yeah, good good, good for you. I didn't hadn't put that all together. But yes, absolutely, it was Dwight. Well, so, Dwight, so Daryl is there, of course, and Daryl's pissed. He tries to get at Dwight and kick his ass. Yeah. Um, but everyone stops him, and then they find out that Dwight is there because he wants to help them. Rick, of course, of course, wonders if this is true, to which Dwight confirms. He says, yes, I want to help you. So Rick takes out his gun, points it at Dwight, and tells him to get on his knees, cut to black. Yep. So there you go. There's the episode. Uh, what do you think is going on at the end there? What's, what's Rick going to do, Jason? Is he going to kill Dwight? Is he going to talk to him for a while and find out what his plan is? And why does he make him kneel? Because that's what well, the saviors did to him? No, it's because he's, he's a police officer and, you know, get on your knees, put your hand behind your back, you know, just, you know, for submission. So he doesn't have an opportunity to attack. I think he's going to talk to him. I think he's going to ask him the three questions. How many people have you killed? How many zombies have you killed? And, uh, you know, I think he's going to accept them with open arms into, into his group because he's got valuable intel. This is what double agents do. Yeah, but how do you right? trust him at this point? I mean, he's... Oh, you don't trust a double agent. You use a double agent. Okay. 
So they're going to try and take advantage of his willingness to help, whether he's really genuine or not. Yeah. Okay. All right. And and I get the police officer thing. I didn't think of that. You know, he's putting him in a submissive position so that, yeah, he can't do anything other than answer questions. Right. That, that makes sense. Um, But, I mean, really, they have no reason to believe he's there to do anything but bad. You know, he's been he's been the enemy up until this point. So I don't know. I don't know how you how you work this situation, trying to trust a guy who has been such an enemy for so long. I don't know. Or how you even use that. Well, you get him, you pump him for information. You waterboard the son of a bitch and you get him as mu- get as much information <laughs> out of him as, uh, as you can. So you torture him. Yeah. Well, yeah. Torture doesn't work. Torture gives you, you know, basically gets somebody to tell you what you want to hear, not what they know. So waterboarding is probably a bad idea. But, you know, uh, scare him a little bit, uh, maybe a, you know, a, a, a mock execution or a couple, uh, you know, that's all right. Is it? It's not all right. Mock execution. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm just saying it's gotta be hard. I think at this point, Rick is going to have to either decide to believe him or not. And if he decides to believe him, then they're taking a chance that Dwight may or may not be genuinely on their side. Yeah, I think Dwight is genuinely on their side. They should ask us. Me too. Me too. I'm pretty sure he is. Uh, Well, I have a very good idea that he he likely is, but you never know what's going to happen in the show, and it could be totally different. So we will have to see. Um, Otherwise, I thought this episode was pretty good, Jason, despite some of my questions about, you know, how they decide to... Uh, tell the story one way versus another way with, you know, action versus dialogue and stuff like that. But I can't really say too much there because it is what it is. And what we did get was pretty good. Um, I thought, well, I did realize that I still have a hard time taking Negan seriously at all. Uh, As soon as when the first scene, when he walks in to chat with Sasha, just I had all the same problems with it I did at that that I have since the beginning. He was just so overly emotive and ridiculous and and um too expressive with his body and, and all that stuff that I don't like was all there, you know, in spades. So I, I, I kind of got better with it as the episode went on a little bit. But when he first walks in, it really kind of bothered me. So I don't know. I just don't find the guy menacing or scary or evil. I just find him cartoony. And I don't like that. Well, hopefully he'll die next episode and that'll be the end of that. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully he will. We'll see. And I won't have to worry about it anymore. But I thought Sasha did a really great job. I mean, Sonequa Martin-Green as Sasha. I thought uh, Eugene was really good. Some some good stuff here. Uh, The whole uh, plan with getting into Oceanside was a little bit nuts, but it worked out okay and it made for a big zombie battle which is all right sometimes and all the seaside zombies looked pretty wicked so yeah it was very reminiscent of uh, pirates of the caribbean the first one oh <laughs> they, would, yeah. they had barnacles growing on them and they were uh, sorry spoiler alert 1993 <laughs> good the lord first one it's not that old jesus yeah man. it really is pirates of the caribbean is not 93 it's maybe it is. 2003 it was, we saw it you and i saw it on july 7th 1993 that's impossible pirates of the caribbean let's just take a look here 2003 uh, no 
Oh, yes. 2003. Yeah, not yes. 93. Dude, I didn't know you in 93. 2003. That's true. No, it was, it was 2003. Yeah. Still you're, long fucking time ago. You're like me. You think the 90s were 10 years ago, but dude, I'm here to tell you they are not. No, no the 90s lasted 20 years. That's all I'm saying. Oh, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> you got 20 years of knowledge out of that decade anyways. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Any other thoughts on the episode? What did you think of it as, it, as, a, as an episode in the grand scheme of season seven? I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good. I thought we had, uh, I would have, I agree with you. I, I think we should have seen what, uh, Sasha did. That was such a fracas the night before. I think that would have been cool, but that's the only thing I thought was missing from this episode. Everything okay. else was pretty cool. All right. Yeah. I, I kind of agree with that. I think it was pretty good, but I just can't get on board with Negan. So that yeah. kind of takes me out of it. And maybe if Michonne had taken the shot and hit something that she was actually aiming at, I think that'd have been pretty awesome. She does take a shot. She first hits a zombie in the body and then she headshots it. Second try. Yeah, that's so she, true. She takes a shot. I think it would have been more surprising if Michonne had taken a shot, missed, and hit one of her companions, like a friendly fire injury. That would have been something amazing. You know, I mean, not killed someone. Like, I didn't want to see Carl get, you know, shot in the head by Michonne accidentally. Eh, yeah, that would have been. Well, but I, I thought maybe Tara would die, or somebody in the background would die. Uh, Come to think of it, Carl maybe. <laughs> but I, like, I, there's other characters down there that I wouldn't want to see get shot. Oh, man, if you imagine if Carl got shot in the same eye. Which <laughs> oh, would piss her? That would God. be like, damn it! <laughs> what is it with this eye? <laughs> yeah. Funny. All right. Well. That's it. That's the second last episode for season seven. We've just got the big one next week. But first, of course, we have to get through the rest of this podcast and our feedback show later this week. So um, today, when we come back, we are going to play an entry in our Record Your Favorite Scene contest and read some of your holy crap moments. We'll be right back. Stay with us. This episode of The Talking Dead is sponsored by Gato Negro Wines. It is the perfect pairing for your favorite TV show, including The Walking Dead. And I don't know what's going to happen next week in the season finale, Jason, but I'm going to say people may need a beverage to go along with their viewing, and Gato Negro is the perfect choice to sip in between main character deaths, in between giant wars happening between factions. I don't know. I think it just would be good to have a, a nice glass uh, during the whole episode during the whole thing to calm your nerves to uh, I don't know just make you feel better about what's going to go down even though we have no idea what's going to happen so Gato Negro if you want to find out more follow them on Instagram at 
instagram.com slash gato negro wine or check them out on facebook at facebook.com slash gato negro wine sip the terror of your favorite tv series with gato negro wines gato negro adored everywhere Welcome back to the program, everyone. We are here to talk briefly about our Record Your Favorite Scene Contest for Season 7. So there's only one more episode next week until we will uh, shut down the contest about a week after that. So if there's something you want to record from the season finale, you'll have about a week after it airs next week to get that in. But in the meantime... If you want to choose a scene from any other episode of The Walking Dead and send it in, you can, of course, do that. And I'm going to play one here that is long, so I'm not going to play the whole thing, but I think you'll get a pretty good idea of what's going on in this uh, in this entry. This comes from Glenn in sunny England. <laughs> Bet you thought you were all going to grow old together. Sitting around the table at Sunday dinner and the happily ever after. <laughs> no, doesn't work like that, Bats. Not anymore. Think about what happened. Hmm. Simply cannot decide. Hey, I got an idea. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Catch a tiger. By his toe. If he hollers, let him go. My mother told me to pick the very best one. And you are it. <laughs> anybody moves. Anybody says anything. Cut the boy's other eye out and free to his father. And then we'll start. You can breathe. You can blink. You can cry in hell. You're all going to be doing that. All right. Thank you so much, Glenn in England for that. So who was that, Jason? Well, that was the Joker. Some people just want to watch the world burn. Some of them do. That was awesome. He must be a professional voice actor. That's what. That's my suspicion, because that was really, really good. I don't know. Yeah, that was the Joker. Or was that the Joker doing Negan, or was that Negan doing the Joker? It was the Joker saying the lines as if it was the Joker giving uh, giving the speech. Yeah. And I like it that he referred to Rick as Bats. Bats, exactly. That bats. was fantastic. Negan's eeny, meeny, miny, mo speech from the season premiere of uh, season seven as, the, as delivered by the Joker. So very, very cool. Thank you, Glenn, in sunny England for that. If you'd like to get an entry in, please choose a favorite scene, record it by yourself or with your friends or family, and uh, fire it off to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Holy crap. Did you see that? Well... Here's some holy crap moments from this episode, Jason. The first one comes from Beth in Kansas. Beth writes, holy crap, did you see that? Sasha is my hero. 
Headbutting Rapey Dave? She is tough as nails. I want to be like her when I grow up. Maggie, too. She's amazing. And Tara, Wonder Woman. Michonne goes without saying. She's really my hero. Okay, so my main holy crap is a love letter to the badass women. I love this show for its portrayal of strong characters that aren't just buff white dudes. Now, yes. now Jason, as a couple of buff white dudes, does that offend yeah. you in any way? I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> you might have a defi- definitely uh, different definition of the word buff. And dude. I, I think maybe you went puff. Oh yeah, that's right. Puffy white dudes. Right. Puffy white dudes. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm sorry. I, I what were you saying? As a couple of buff white dudes. Uh, as a couple of buff white dudes, does does her uh, comments uh, offend you at all? But clearly not. No, clearly not. No, absolutely. That's what one of the things I really like about this show too is uh, the portrayal of everybody being awesome. <laughs> everybody is not only that, but everybody is both awesome and not awesome. Like they are flawed characters and they, they are, are yeah. they're not black and white like everyone looks at michonne and thinks man michonne is such a badass but there are scenes where she's not and she's vulnerable and i'm sure someday there will be a scene where jesus is not awesome and vulnerable too it hasn't oh, come jesus yet this is always awesome jesus will always be awesome there he can't be unawesome well, he's not flawed he's perfect he's even got a beard well that does go a long way but I someday, someday Jesus will not be awesome, I think. And I hope not, because as soon as he becomes vulnerable, he's gonna die. Oh god, no, he's not. Come on. Jesus can't die. <laughs> not in the show anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh next up, Bedell on the internet writes, Holy crap, waterlogged zombies uh from the intro look awesome. Barnacles and seaweed, amazing. They were good. You would agree. And along the same lines, Anna in Wales wrote, holy crap, barnacle walkers are the best. So they were very cool. Everyone liked those barnacle walkers, including me. They were good. I, I did like them. I mean, they were a little campy, but I liked it. Yeah, I'll, I'll allow it. I agree with you, but I think it's okay. It does kind of, to be honest, though, make me wish we'd seen what happened with that ship. Like, I almost want to know what happened on that ship and how it got stuck there or scuttled there. Is that the word? It's got a little run aground or, yeah. you know, shipwrecked. But I can't, oh, shipwrecked, yeah. <laughs> the one everybody uses most of the time. <laughs> Scuttles on purpose. Shipwrecked is not. Oh, yeah, okay, very good. Uh, but I'm curious. I'm curious about what happened and how long those guys have been on that ship or if they even came there at all. I don't know. So I think that's I a think, cool yeah, story they can tell. there's more people, uh, that, like, I'm just going from the size of that ship. The size of that ship uh, didn't have hundreds of crew, right? Because it was some kind of uh, tanker. Uh, not a large tanker either. It was uh, a fairly small tanker as far as tankers go, from what I've what I know of tankers. Uh, so there's not there's far too many zombies that we saw that would be the normal crew for that tanker. So I assume that it was some kind of uh, group of people that were trying to stay safe from the zombie apocalypse. So they all got onto that tanker in order to be safe, but obviously that didn't work out for them. And uh, it ran aground, and uh, now they're wandering around with barnacles all over them. Oh, maybe, so but even that could... I, I also want to know that story, because I think it's more just uh, just a story of this uh, group of merchant seamen out in the ocean, and all of a sudden somebody comes on board who's bitten, and, uh, you know, it breaks out, and, you know, they put the throttle, full throttle forward and head towards land. It sounds like a fascinating story to me. I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind hearing that. And then they turn into barnacle zombies. So it has a happy ending. 
Don't we do uh, <laughs> we do a short story contest at some point? Don't we? Are we oh. going to do that again? No, but we did one years ago, uh, a long time ago. But yeah, I think the short story. If somebody wrote a short story about you know that story, I think that would be very interesting to read. There is a Telltale did put out a mini game involving Michonne and a boat. So in a way, they've well, I guess you could say that was kind of like this story. I haven't played through the whole game yet, but I did start it and it was awesome. So I'm going to finish it. So maybe you should check that out. You'd like that kind of thing. Super. All right. Next up is Frank on the internet writes, uh, Frank writes, holy crap. So Rick and the gang easily gain another ally and wipe out a mini herd of walkers. Only the latter is believable. That they could kill walkers and not gain another ally. Which I'd say Oceanside being an ally is kind of on the fence at this point. Kind of questionable. Uh, I think Oceanside basically, as far they got to the point where they are willing victims. And that was pretty much it. Yes, they said, sure, take all our guns because we can't Fine. stop you. But we're not going to help. Yeah, right. take the weapons, jerks. Pretty Bring much. Bring them back when you're done. Yeah, exactly. James in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania writes, holy crap, Oceanside, the land of convenient plot mechanics. Somehow the entire village is alerted to Terra sneaking inside its walls earlier this season, yet the entire Alexandria crew roll in with barely a vulgar-mouthed preteen's thought. (laughs) There you go. So he's referring to the little girl in Oceanside who uh, I think says shit at one point, then Terra gives her the finger as she's leaving. I think her name is Rachel, right? And what I loved about Rachel, though, is during the zombie fight, she kicks one in the balls and stabs it in the head. So she is super awesome, in my opinion. Well, yeah, except for kicking a zombie in the balls really doesn't do a whole lot, I would think. I don't think so either, but it was... You think balls survive undeath? (laughs) Well, they're there. Well, they are there, but do you think that there's, you know, there's not a whole lot of nerve impulses going through uh, a zombie, but there are some nerve impulses because they moan and make noises and, well, they have to move their muscles, right? So there's some kind of low-level thing, what we saw in the first season, right? uh, the the lower brain. So it depends on exactly where your testicles are connected. Are they connected to your lower brain so that when you get hit in the the testes, uh, your medulla oblongata goes, whoa, dude! That really sucks. Or is it your higher brain going, you know what? I think that's going to hurt. Well, you know, uh, I don't know, but I'm sure there are lots of people out there who would argue that guys' balls are connected directly to their brain. Their lower brain. Lower brain. Sure. Yeah. Not not the higher functioning, reasoning, uh, thinking brain. It's more of the uh, uh, lower base function, uh, eat, breathe, uh, that kind of thing. Eat, breathe, and uh, yes, blink. something else. Yeah, blink, blink. That's the other thing I'm thinking of. <laughs> well, in that case, maybe they are still connected. So the zombie felt that and doubled over in pain, and uh, she was able to stab it in the head. I just think it was a cool scene to watch, and I kind of hope that little Rachel girl becomes a bit of a character because she's fun to watch on screen, I think, doing stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, what's next? Gemma in South Wales, UK writes, my holy crap moment is every single Alexandrian seems to be at Oceanside. So who's looking after Judith? Poor kid. Every, um, everyone's always worried about Judith. What's her name? Uh, the lady who is in charge of the, uh, the supplies. Yeah. Olivia who got killed. Oh, she's dead. Right. 
Well, who the hell's taking care of Judith? Nobody. Judith is old enough to stay by herself now. Obviously. Well, we saw Tobin. He was there with them, and we don't see him doing anything most of the time. Um, so I don't know. Maybe Rosita got back in time. Maybe they figured Judith's old, Judith is old enough to stay on her own for a short period now. Well, maybe they left her and then uh, Rosita showed up and they're like, oh, thank God. You know, we had, <laughs> that's right. We had her locked in the cell, but, uh, you know, you showed up and, you know, had to do a switcheroo because, you know, you gotta, you gotta leave a baby in a safe place, right? Like, like a cell. Yeah. And go out of town. <laughs> you no, know, Rick pulled a, do you remember in, uh, well, do you remember in Guardians of the Galaxy, there's a scene where Star-Lord comes back to his ship and there's a woman there and she comes out and he says, I'm going to be honest, I forgot you were here. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm thinking Rick comes back to Alexandria and goes, crap. Judith, I forgot you were here. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, I'm sure there's watch, somebody around. I gotta watch Guardians of the Galaxy again. Great movie. Before I, love I it. watch Volume Two. Yeah, it doesn't come out until the summer, I think. So you got yeah, a bit of time. Well, so I got some time. Uh, anyways, let's move on. We've got Sean on the internet who writes, "Holy crap! How could Negan be surprised that Dave was rapey if his name was Rapey Davy?" <laughs> That name had to haunt him through high school, poor guy. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I like how the one before from Gemma ended with poor kid, and now this one ends with poor guy. <laughs> poor guy. Yeah. He had the name Rapey Davy. Like, yeah. yeah, it's like going, you know, dickhead Richard going through school with that name. It's just got to be tough. <laughs> it has got to be tough. Uh, Mark, on our Facebook page, wrote, holy crap, why isn't Sasha having her dose of Easy Street? As you know, I wondered, so that's it. Next week. Next week. Uh, next, we've got a call from Giovanni in Vancouver, Washington. Hi, Jason and Chris. This is Giovanni from Vancouver, Washington. And I have a holy crap moment. Did you notice that Carl was using his right arm and his right hand to shoot that rifle at the walkers, even though he's missing his right eye? I mean, how was he aiming at them and getting such accurate shots? Thanks, Giovanni. I went back and looked, Jason. I don't yep. recommend you do that because when you see Carl looking through the scope of a rifle with an eye-patched eye, it made me want to write a letter to somebody and say, how do you screw that up? He's wearing a friggin' eye patch looking through the scope of a rifle. You think it was, you think eye patch was added in post? No. They didn't, they forgot? No, of course not. No, he's wearing a friggin' eye patch, putting it right into the scope of a rifle, looking through that scope. It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. I didn't notice it at first, but on one hand, I'm glad Giovanni pointed it out because it is ridiculous. On the other hand, I kind of wish I didn't know. I'm going back. I know you recommended it that I don't, but it's I can't not it's look at that. It's ridiculous. It is so dumb. Um... So, sorry, everybody, if you didn't want to know that, but it just seems so stupid that Carl's looking through that with the wrong eye. While you're looking that up, Jason, I'm going to play our next one here. It's a call, another call from David in Brooklyn. Sure. Hey, Chris and Jason, it's David in Brooklyn. Um, holy crap. Did you see that they used Morgan's jail cell to hold Dwight at the end of the episode? And holy crap, why is Michonne the sniper for the Oceanside mission? I mean, she's the worst shot in the whole group. Okay, guys, thanks. Later. It's the rifle, not Michonne. Uh, the rifle yes. is not sighted properly. Looks like it, she's getting it, uh, you know, sighted a little bit better in this episode, but I think it's it's the rifle, not Michonne. 
I agree. And who else is going to go up that tree? Like nobody else can shoot a rifle. Carl would look through it with the wrong eye and, and they need everyone else on the ground, I guess. Maybe Jesus could go up there and do that, but I feel like he's more valuable on the ground. Then again, you'd think Michonne would be pretty valuable on the ground as well. So I think that was just their best choice. And you're right. It's the gun, not the operator. Yeah. So one more here. It is Michael in London. And uh, Michael says, holy crap, Father Gabriel and I have the very have very similar hold alls. I may not survive a zombie apocalypse, but at least my bag will. <laughs> so, <laughs> nice. so there you go. Thank you, Michael. And thank you to everyone for sending in your holy crap moments. Did you find the scene? Did you see Carl? I did. Uh, it's unfortunate. Yeah, that's all I can really say about that. Well, that is going to do it for this podcast, everyone. Jason, thanks for being here as always. Well, it's my pleasure, Christopher. Thank you for uh, for putting this whole thing together. <laughs> it's like it's like the last one we're ever doing. That's not true, everyone. <laughs> I hope not. Anyway, <laughs> um, if you'd like to get in touch with us, please do so by uh, going to talkingdeadpodcast.com and clicking on send voicemail. There's a button there that says send voicemail. You can record a message right into your computer and it gets emailed directly to us. It's amazing. And uh, we love getting audio comments because, you know, this is an audio podcast. So emails are awesome, but it's great to hear people's voices, too. So do that if you want. You can also just use your phone to record things, uh, which we do ask you to do quite a bit. I know. But hey, that's what that's uh, it, it's going to make you feel good. Requ- send us a message because it makes you feel good. It does. It's full of happy endorphins uh, that just, you know, give you that warm feeling that just is comforting and nice. It's like uh, it's like eating a peanut butter and banana sandwich. Everybody loves peanut butter and banana unless you're allergic to peanuts or bananas. Or sandwiches. Or sandwiches. <laughs> Those unfortunate few. Ooh, that would be the worst. I love a good sandwich. Anyways, where was I? Send voicemail. Um, also, visit us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. It's always great to uh, see everyone participating on our Facebook page. And if you want to send email, please send email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. One other thing you can do to help out is leave us an iTunes review if you'd like. Uh, Thanks to everyone who does that, but just go give us a star rating and a brief comment if you can. Helps us stay on the iTunes radar and especially in the next week, because sometimes around the beginning and end of seasons, iTunes does like a feature section on TV or podcasts related to a particular TV show like The Walking Dead, so we want to be in there. We've been in there before, but the more ratings and reviews we have, the more likely we will be included. So uh, just a good way to help, you know, help get us out there. Yep. And I haven't mentioned it in a while, but check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash thetalkingdead. That is another easy way to help out with a small monthly pledge. All right, that's enough of that, I think. Thank you so much, everybody. Until next time. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.